1: Matthew Henry was an 18th-century preacher and author of a well-known Bible commentary. In the study of Proverbs 31, he began by writing the following, It is the duty of mothers, as well as fathers, to teach their children what is good, that they may do it, what is evil, that they may avoid it. When they are young and tender, they are most under the mother's eye." She has, then, an opportunity of molding and fashioning their minds well. Those that have grown up to maturity should often call to mind and make mention of the good instructions they received when they were children for their own admonition, the edification of others, and the honor of those who were the guides of their youth. In light of Mother's Day, just around the corner, we've been thinking a lot about great mothers of faith. We're grateful that God in His Word gave us many accounts of godly and courageous women, inspirational examples to follow. We're also thankful for our own mothers, who've been highly instrumental in shaping our faith and love for
0: Jesus Christ. I didn't exactly grow up in a Christian home. My father didn't proclaim his belief in Christ for salvation until near the end of his life. But my mother was, and is, a very faithful believer. I remember her bringing me to church week after week, constantly exposing me to the message of Jesus' saving work on the cross. The gospel message was the greatest gift she could present. Years later, my mom remains a precious blessing in my life. So, Mom, I love you. You've been generous and sacrificial throughout your life. Thank you for your steadfast faith and friendship.
1: My mom is... An instrument through which God pours out his love to me. She's taught so many people, especially me, by example, what it means to trust the Lord completely and to count it all joy. She's fought and continues to fight the good fight. Each time I read through Proverbs 31 in particular, I think of her. Mom... I'm one of the fruits of your hands, and I want to thank you for guiding me through choices in life and always pointing me to our Savior.
0: Of all the honorable women mentioned in the Bible, perhaps one who is relatively unknown to a lot of Christians is the mother of Moses, Jacobet. Much of what we know about her is recorded in Exodus 2. With her name barely mentioned, she gets somewhat forgotten and lost in the shadow of her famous children. Moses especially.
1: But her faith was certainly not overlooked by God. She and her husband are noted among the heroes of faith in Hebrews 11.
0: Jacob's life points to a great trust and labor for God during immense trial. Her son's life is familiar to most of us, but just to refresh our memory, eh, here's a summary. Jacob, also known as Israel, went to Egypt to escape a famine. After Joseph revealed himself to his 11 brothers, he requested them to bring their father to Egypt and settle there with him. They were all well cared for under Joseph's watchful eye. However, many years later, Joseph passed away, and a new king took the throne, a king who hadn't known Joseph, and the new pharaoh observed that the Hebrew people were rapidly growing in numbers. He was afraid that they could soon outnumber the Egyptians and overtake them, so to prevent that from happening, he took away the Hebrews' liberties and forced them into slavery. They were made to work under cruel taskmasters. The living conditions of the children of Israel were pitiful and bitter. Yet even under that horrible treatment, the Hebrew population continued to grow. The Egyptian ruler grew more desperate. He put out an edict that every male child born to the Hebrews should be killed. It was during these dark days Moses was born to Amram and Jacobed. Keep in mind, Jacobed was a human being. Surely she and her family must have had incredible stressful days trying to keep that baby hidden. But in the midst of that fearful period in history, a horrible time when the law of the land was to kill helpless baby boys, she didn't choose the path of least resistance. She made the choice to trust and obey God. She knew God valued the sanctity of life. She believed God had a purpose for her son. She knew in her heart that despite Pharaoh's best efforts, her people would not be completely eradicated. God had promised to multiply Abraham's seed. That deep abiding belief in the trustworthiness of God's word drove her to act. She wove a basket for her son, using papyrus, making it stronger by using a coating of bitumen, ensuring it would be waterproof. Then she devised a careful plan to place Moses in the basket on the bank of the river, where Pharaoh's daughter regularly went to bathe. She and her daughter, Miriam, watched over the basket from a distance until Moses was discovered. She risked her own life through all of this, following through on what she firmly believed was right. In response to her faith, God protected her and Moses and set in motion a chain of incredible events that would accomplish his purposes. Jochebed was brought into the palace to nurse Moses and to raise him for several years. Some have speculated that Moses' gentle character and belief in God as creator of heaven and earth came through the guidance of his mother. After Moses had grown into a boy and was turned over completely to the care of the princess. There aren't a lot of further records of Jacobed. With so little historical writing on Jacobed, we don't know if she lived to see Moses become a great leader. But we do know from Exodus 2 and Hebrews 11, Jacobed d- demonstrated her faith in a powerful way, and God honored her for it.
1: Here in America, most of us would find it difficult to relate to that level of evil. oppression from the government however one thing that most of us do understand is what it's like to walk through hard days no matter what may be happening around us one thing is for sure we can always trust the Lord and step forward in faith as Jochebed did
0: Charles Spurgeon once preached, A man that has strong faith in Christ has got a hand that gets such a grip of the doctrines of grace that you could not unclasp it. Do what you would. He knows what he has believed. He understands what he has received. He could not and would not give up what he knows to be the truth of God, though all the schemes that men devised should assail him with their most treacherous art. In Ephesians 6, the Apostle Paul urges Christians to put on the whole armor of God. He writes about the belt of truth and the coat of righteousness, and having our feet shod with the readiness of the gospel of peace. And then he says, above all, we need to put on the shield of faith. That phrase, above all, emphasizes an extra importance to this one part of the mission. In order for us to have the victories that God intends, it's absolutely essential To use this armor.
1: Back in Paul's day, Roman shields were designed to protect the entire body, including the back. It would be curved, using at least three bonded layers of wood strips and covered by linen or leather. A bronze rim would cover the rounded edges for additional protection. I believe this is the imagery Paul had in mind when he talked about faith. Our shield is our faith. And that faith is not a pie in the sky. It's the specific body of truth, God's word, the Bible.
0: Just like those Roman shields, the shield of faith is strong. When it is fashioned by truth, it places absolute confidence in the truth, power, and authority of the Bible. It's the belief in the finished work of Christ. It places no confidence in yourself or other men, but rests completely and entirely on the Lord Jesus Christ. Every hope and dependence is based on God's promises. Any other shield would be useless.
1: Interestingly, the background of the word for shield in Ephesians 6 is door. It's very large in size and shape. So again, it's designed to protect every part of us. Just like those door-length Roman shields, faith protects the entire man. Should we be wrestling with dangerous heresies, or anxieties about the unknown future. Full trust in Christ enables us to hold fast what is true and right, and preserves us from becoming vulnerable.
0: The shield of faith also guards the heart. When temptation to love what the world has to offer creeps in, faith holds up the promise of eternity in heaven and the confidence of rewards. Faith enables Christians to be content to endure suffering.
1: What about the feet? When popular religions tell us you can serve the God of your choice and still make it to heaven, God's word points to one way, one faith in the Savior Jesus Christ. When we stumble and giant failures cast shadows of doubt on the security of salvation, God's word helps us stand fast in those slippery places. The Bible tells us from the point of salvation, The gift of salvation is irrevocable and unfailing. Our sins have been nailed to the cross and we are justified once and for all by his grace. It's finished. So by faith, we take God at his word when he tells us we are dressed in his righteousness, lovely and forgiven in his sight.
0: Some Christians think that the battle is over once they've been saved by faith. They're convinced righteous living guarantees freedom from pain. They think if their faith is strong enough, everything will be peaceful and calm. But this is not what God tells us. We're instructed to put on our armor because there will be battles. Conflicts will come, and often they come because of faith in Christ. That shield of faith may be knocked and hammered in the time of battle, but it will bear the cuts and blows. There are so
1: many discouragements and temptations in life and sometimes attacks on our belief. I recall a time about six years ago when two faith healers called into question God's presence and blessing in my life. They led into this by asking if I wanted to be made well and to walk. My answer was, yes, of course I do. I believe God is able to do that. And he could do it at any time. Until that day comes, I pray he keeps me faithful. I pray that his strength and goodness will be magnified through my weakness. They proceeded to tell me that God's will for me was to be healed by them right then and there. Well, I didn't want to comment on the arrogance of that statement. After all, it's God who holds the power, not man and God who will receive the glory. But I did ask them how they would explain the many cases in Scripture where good people were not immediately made well, including the Apostle Paul. Paul pleaded with the Lord three times to remove his thorn in the flesh, and God's answer was, no, not now. My grace is sufficient for you. To this, the faith healers gave their viewpoint. So illogical and absurd, I've never forgotten. They told me Paul's thorn was hatred, not a physical affliction. They said Paul despised people, and God chose to let him wallow in that. Now, I've heard a variety of speculations over what Paul's thorn might have been, but an intense disdain for people? That was a first for me. I was completely dumbfounded. They then went on to accuse me of having little faith. They said, it is your lack of faith that keeps you in that wheelchair. We will pray for you. And when you're ready to trust what God can do and bolster up your faith, come to us and we will make you well. Now, I will be completely Honest with all of you, dear podcast listeners, their words cut me to the core. Indirectly, they were suggesting that my inability to walk made me less of a person, and character was of no importance. I have to say, though, taking aim at my faith, publicly denouncing me by stating that the cause of my disability was little faith, Uh, That was a really low blow. Well, that evening, I sent out a prayer letter to all of my supporting churches. I frequently would update them on my ministry. And of course, I was open and honest with them about that painful incident. But then I opened my Bible just to refresh myself on what is true. In pouring over my favorite passages, I was reminded My faith focuses on the person of Jesus Christ and all that he has said. It's not about producing a desired outcome. Nowhere in the Bible does God say every illness and disability is the result of sin or small faith. And nowhere does God promise his children will be free from ailments or suffering. The truth is God is not absent from sickness and suffering. The truth is, God tells us to be patient through tribulation. So even if there is no earthly rescue, there will come a day when he wipes away my tears. And in his power, a power that isn't dependent at all on the amount of my faith, he'll give me a new glorified body. My confidence in God remains unshaken. Proverbs tells us, that every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. And how true that is. The longer I reflected on the truth of who my God is, even through my earthly struggles, the more he lifted the hurt of that verbal attack and strengthened me against the lies about faith and healing.
0: That's the kind of false teaching that can be very, very destructive.
1: Absolutely. Well, the next morning, I woke up to find my inbox full of encouraging messages from my army of prayer warriors. They offered me their love and support. But most importantly, they reminded me from Scripture how good and how great our God really is, even in hard times. All of that was overwhelmingly encouraging to my soul.
0: There's no doubt the enemy seeks to circulate doctrines that distract from the knowledge of Christ. And the world will continue to do all that they can to slander Christians and call into question the validity of God and his word. As Christians, the last thing we'd want is to be swept away and destroyed by every wind of doctrine. One of the battle tactics back in Paul's day was to set arrows on fire. Sometimes they'd be tinged with poison. But shields overlaid with linen and leather, often soaked in water, would absorb the flames and protect the soldiers. When those arrows of personal attacks, fears, or doubts are aimed and fired, we as believers can face them head on by immersing our shield in God's word. By the way, Tabitha, I appreciate your point, too, that when other Bible-believing Christians heard about the attack you were under, they lined up with their shields with you. That's how it should be. We arm and engage in battle together.
1: Imagine a soldier has his defensive weapon, the shield, that protects him and empowers him to stand bravely through assault. But he chooses to leave that shield at home when he goes off into battle. If we who are believers are confident in God when all is going well, but we neglect to lean on the Bible and God's promises when we're in a pinch, We haven't learned to handle that shield of faith.
0: Dear listener, what are the flaming darts that are being hurled at you today? Is it guilt or bitterness over past wrongs? Is it depression over job loss or isolation? Is it high anxiety over a pandemic? Have you taken up your shield of faith? Jacobette set a great example for us. She relied on the promises of God, using it as a shield for her life. While the world may seem as if it's spinning out of control... Don't allow your faith in God's care and sovereignty to be depleted. Remember, with Christ as our trustworthy leader and the source of our strength, we can face anything and come through spiritually victorious. Know Him and His Word. Hold high your shield of faith and be strong in the Lord. There are forces in the world today who oppose our Christian faith. They attempt to destroy everything that's holy and control what preachers say. But God still has a few
1: good men who won't bend, won't bow or burn. They
0: will fight to the end to defend that faith until the day that the whole world
1: There are things we won't give over, there are things worth fighting for. The book and the blood and the rugged cross, one faith, one way, one Lord. When the world and the flesh and the devil press on and try to tear our strongholds down,
0: Despite what the non-believers say, our God has never changed. His word still means everything it says. It is now and forever the same. The world may think that they have won this fight, but there are some that can still be found who will never give in and will never give up. We will stand our ground. There are things
1: we won't give over, there are things worth fighting for, the book and the blood and the rugged cross, one faith, one way, one Lord. When the world and the flesh and the devil press on and try to tear
0: our strongholds down, We won't give up. to Broken Vessels, Hidden Treasures. It is our hope and prayer that you will find the grace and goodness of God even in trials. We'd love to hear from you, and your feedback is important to us. You can reach out to Paul and Tabitha with comments, questions, or to share an episode with a friend in need through our website at bvhtministries.org.